Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. Also, remember to join us next Monday, August 5th at 7 p.m. at the Ann Arbor Public Library for our next WDET Book Club event. We're going to hear the latest from Senator Jeff Irwin and from Michigan Radio's investigative reporter, Lindsey Smith, who did a lot of work to expose what went on with the Flint water crisis. Uh, We would love to see you there. We've had a number of really great discussions already this summer about Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha's book, What the Eyes Don't See. We imagine that uh, we We'll have another really great conversation there in Ann Arbor. For more information, you can go to WDET.org slash events, and we will see you there. Okay, we've got a busy show today, but up first, President President Trump described an American city last week as a, quote, disgusting, rodent-infested mess. That city was Baltimore, and Trump was attacking that city because it's represented, alongside other Maryland uh, communities, by Congressman Elijah Cummings, who chairs the House Oversight and Reform Committee. Cummings is black, as are about 65% of the citizens of Baltimore. And this has become a really familiar refrain for this president, to use racially charged language about African Americans and their representatives when he's challenged by them. I want to begin the show today by talking about Trump and race and Baltimore, and I've got the perfect guest for that conversation. Lester Spence is from Detroit, but lives in Baltimore and teaches political science and Africana studies at Johns Hopkins University. Lester, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, it's good to be here. What's up? Yeah. So uh, let's start with uh, just the reaction that you had as somebody, as a person of color, lives in Baltimore, is from Detroit. Well, when the president said that, you know, uh, I, don't think, uh, I don't think anyone can argue about cities having rats, but uh, there's something more to what the president was trying to say here. He's talking, he's talking about race. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my first response was that he's lying and <laughs> that, the, that the lying racist president is being a lying racist, racist president again. That's the first <laughs> response. <laughs> that was my first response. And then after that, one of my uh, fraternity brothers, actually somebody from Detroit, he, uh, he went to Wayne State. He texted me at like midnight, like no, 1 a.m. on a Saturday night, right? He texted me looking for my hot take. Like, what you got, what you got to say, what you got to say? I'm like, listen, this is who he is. This is what he does. Right. There, there's a so what's really important is that. So I'll tell you one thing. So. In this moment, a number of my folks from Baltimore are finding themselves having to having to defend Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I am not here to do that. Just like I, I don't have to defend Baltimore. I don't you know, I don't have to defend Detroit. I don't have to defend Baltimore. But what really strikes me about this moment is how outrage functions hmm. right so what the pre- uh, what trump is doing uh unsuccessfully is attempting to use baltimore as a way to draw attention elsewhere away from his record away from the actions that he's engaged in that will possibly cause the uh the, the congress to impeach him away from a range of other issues, right? Mm-hmm. That's what he's using out. That's what he's using this for. And then what usually ends up happening is we end up being outraged. We end up, you know, tweeting about it. Those of us who are on social media, we end up 
talking over the water cooler over it uh, about it and then it spikes and then it kind of goes away right and it, until it's replaced by the next thing he does that then causes us to react again yeah. right so so those are just a couple of of, of my thoughts about that that the bottom line for me is that what we have to do is we have to create the institutional capacity to defeat the Trump political tendency. And that means that in some cases we can use outrage and we should use outrage, but we shouldn't yet let um, outrage uh, about, uh, we shouldn't let outrage use us. Yeah. So, but there is something quite particular about his use of race in this context. Uh, and it's something he comes back to over and over again. And I think that there, there's, there are important reasons for that. Uh, one is that the base that he is trying to get excited about uh, reelecting him next year mm-hmm. is driven uh, very much by race. Uh, and that uh, I think he knows that by putting his finger on this subject, uh, he can get a certain response, not just from them, but also from uh, those who, who oppose him. I mean, it, it, there is that... I mean, you're absolutely right about the manipulative nature of this, but I think there is something peculiar about the racial manipulation that is uh, involved here. Well, uh, well first, I'll, I'll gently put you back in one in one way. He's not using race; he's using racism. Right? Uh, right. We should actually yes, we should, right. we should be really clear. He's not using race; he's using racism, and he's got a long history of it. His parent, you know, his dad's got a history of it. You know, going back to the early '70s with his dad, going back to the Central Park kids with him, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he's been doing this, right? So how does racism function? There is an emotional element to it, right? That is that uh, we know, for example, that one of the ways that uh, support for welfare dampened over the course of decades was by using images of black women. Um, those images of black women tended to generate in whites when when accompanied with other ideas uh, a, a type of disgust that made that then bled over into their uh, their uh, feelings about welfare you know we can make the same arguments about crime the same arguments about immigration when it relates to particularly as it's relate as it relates to uh, uh, Latinx uh, brothers and sisters right mm-hmm. um, that's we we know this we also know uh, from research, a lot of it actually coming out of the University of Michigan, shout out, go, go blue, that <laughs> back in the day, the only way racism, the primary way racism functioned politically was kind of implicitly, yes. right? Like people couldn't, couldn't, uh, couldn't be explicit about racism because America had norms that said that racism was quote unquote bad. As a result of Trump's election, we now know that you can actually use kind of old school racism like the way Trump's been doing and that uh, and that dynamic generates political results. Right. Um, So what he's doing, it is racism is a kind of a peculiar thing. But what he's doing, what's peculiar, peculiar about this, if anything, is the fact that he can get away with stuff that we used to it's as if we're in like a time war. Yeah. He, you know, politicians used to not be able to get elected doing stuff like this. They used to have to kind of couch their ideas in certain types of 
respectable language. That's all, you know, that's all done. Uh, I also want to talk uh, about the district that he is slamming here, uh, where where you live, where I lived uh, for a long time. I was represented by uh, Elijah Cummings as well when I lived in in, in Baltimore. I, I think there's something interesting about that district too. Uh, now he's picking on uh, a, a part of the district that is beset by a lot of poverty, uh, by the the latent effects of historical racism, by the current effects of current racism. Uh, but it's a it's a much richer district than he portrayed it as. I mean, it's a, it's a big district, and it takes in a lot of different uh, communities. I thought there was, uh, for me, something really dishonest uh, almost about uh, the way in which he was talking about. Baltimore and uh, and Central Maryland. Well, I mean, racism is dishonest. I mean, and you know what I mean. I mean, racism itself. <laughs> right. Why should I expect anything different? Right. <laughs> I mean, so here's one way to think about it. There are. Um, so when we were younger, uh, remember when the bell curve came out? I think we were both. Sure. No, we were. It was right after Mich- Right after we both graduated from Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the bell curve stuff is all crazy. But one of the things that, to the extent that we measure IQ, right, to say that, that there is more variance within the uh, African uh, within black populations than there are than there are between black populations and white. Yes, right. When Trump castigates an entire representative, a, a congressional district, there's all types of variants. I think Bolton Hill is in, uh, is uh, represented is. by Elijah Cummings. And for for uh, listeners, Bolton Hill in um, in, Balt- in Baltimore is kind of like Palmer Woods yeah. in Detroit, that's right? That's or right. Indian Village in Detroit, right? So he's representing Bolton Hill. He, I'm pretty sure that John Hopkins, where I work, is like contained in that, yeah. right? I mean, so, so, but what racism does, the way, the way it does, is it blends over all those differences, all those rich differences, and renders, in this case, a space, a uniquely dangerous criminal uh, space. And in fact, it's, it's deeper than that, because he said that no human would want to live would there. Would want to live there, right? Yeah. Right. And, and here, so technically, I live outside of Baltimore, but I love Baltimore and I want to live there. I want to live there. So what does that make me? You know what I mean? I mean, so, yeah. That's, and, and again, it, it, we, we end up finding ourselves in the position where we have to defend what doesn't require defending. I mean, Baltimore is dope. I, I, Baltimore was the first place outside of Detroit and Inkster that I ever called home, not even knowing I was doing. <laughs> I was, in fact, I was in Belle Isle. I was, I was back home in the summer, and I was on Belle Isle hanging out with my brother, and I was talking to somebody. I'm like, yeah, I'm going home in a few months. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I'm going home. I'm already home. Home to Baltimore. But I was talking right? about Baltimore. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I have the same feelings, obviously. I mean, it's the only place other than Detroit that I've ever really referred to as home. And I lived there for a long time. My kids were born there. Uh, it, it, it is a place that, that I have real attachment to. Uh, and, and it's a great place. And, and it is a place that has problems, obviously. Uh, and those problems, I think, when you look at them and think about them and why they exist and why they persist, uh, you come back to uh, you know historical inequality and all of these kind of things that the president doesn't really want to 
uh, acknowledge, um, and he wants to he wants to, as you say, sort of distract us uh, with this unnecessary defense of a place that uh, that uh, that is actually uh, a, a pretty cool a, a pretty cool place. Uh, my guest is Lester Spence. He's an associate professor of political science and Africana studies at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. We're talking about what President Trump said about Baltimore uh, about. Who would want to live in a place like that? Uh, he did that in response to Representative Elijah Cummings, who chairs the Oversight and Reform Committee in the House, and some of the things that he said about the president's behavior. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. What was your reaction to Trump's attacks on Baltimore and the people who live there? Do you think we're reading too much into the comments when we talk about them as racist and dehumanizing? Or do you think... These are fair ways to describe what the president's saying. Uh, also talk about how you think we ought to respond to this kind of thing because it is such a manipulation. It is such a distraction. Uh, ought we ignore it or should we call it out in a way that doesn't lean into that manipulation? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Charlie in Detroit. Charlie, welcome to Detroit. Today. Yeah. Hi, thank you, Stephen. Um, I, for one, am, am glad he took on Elijah Cummings. Elijah Cummings, I've met. He's a tough man. He's a smart man. He's a former prosecutor, and he ain't going to take any you-know-what from this liar-in-chief, <laughs> yeah, okay? Right. <laughs> He's going to hand him his you-know-what on a platter, okay? This guy, all he's doing is race-baiting, which is what he did to get elected. Um, what does he know about Baltimore? He's probably watched Wired on TV. I bet that's all he knows. <laughs> He's just a punk, and Elijah Cummings will kick his you-know-what. Yeah, well, I mean, we've seen uh, Representative Cummings respond, I think, the way that we would expect him to. Uh, Lester, I wonder if you can give us a sense of how people in Baltimore are responding to what the president said. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a, a, there's a large swath of folk in Baltimore who don't really care. Hmm. You know, I, I mean, this again, they understand, and what I, I don't mean they're apathetic, I'm, but, I, but I mean that, again, it, 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 but Trump being president means something, but he's a liar and a racist. Right. I mean, so under what conditions <laughs> would I, you know, would, would, there's this large swath of it who understand that under very few conditions do they find it necessary to even kind of open their mouth in response to something like that. That's like a waste of energy. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I've got, you know, a lot of my friends are uh, intellectuals and, uh, and, and creatives, and they're, you know, they're finding themselves being asked to, you know, appear on shows, and their take is a bit different, right? Because what they're interested in doing is kind of unpacking the richness that is Baltimore mm-hmm. in order to kind of, uh, of, of, uh, create another set of ideas because they understand that that to a certain extent ideas do matter right yeah yeah Uh, again thanks uh, charlie for the call and the comments let's go to jeff in northville jeff welcome to detroit today you there jeff yeah thank you and uh welcome back to detroit uh my friend Yeah, well, Detroit Redford High School class of 1969 here, uh, oh. 50-year reunion. Wow, wow. Oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's, your classic line is correct in that Trump is looking to distract, get the attention away from him, and stir the pot as much as he can with 
whatever ugly stew he's conjured. Yeah. Yeah, no, Jeff. Uh, I think uh, that's absolutely what he's uh, what he's up to, and 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 again, you know, I think one of the questions is, how do you respond so that you're not you're not playing into to his uh, his manipulation here? Uh, I think that's one of the things that's uh, that's really hard to to, to think through. Um, let's go to Chris in Berkeley. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen. Hey, I think thanks for having me on. I always appreciate your your insight in these great conversations. Um, just my comment uh, was really based around the response that what we were alluding to is that I feel we really need to have a really strong unified response uh, for all people that oppose the president's view and this racism that is occurring throughout the country right now. Um, I just, I would like to see more unification something along the lines of like a real rallying cry, like mm. the black Panthers had like power to the people, you know, mm. that, that kind of unification and strength of a message. Yeah. That's an interesting point, Chris uh, Lister. What do you think about that? The, the, that? That gets to this idea of how we respond. Should there be sort of a way that we think about uh, responding, you know, in a way that, that, makes a different point than what the president is trying to make and doesn't just respond to him. I mean, I think that that uh, that idea of the Panthers' power to the people is kind of interesting as well. Yeah, I think that uh, what I've been uh, thinking about, and not just related to this issue, issue but related to a host of ones um, in Baltimore and just uh, nationally, is uh, what, are the, what role should institutions play, hmm. right? So outrage isn't a good thing or a bad thing is a thing. It's a thing that generate that's generating very specific moments. What we know about outrage intellectually is that it can generate solidarity. It can be turned towards progressive uh, political action. But for that to happen, what we need are a much we need much more robust a much more robust set of political institutions and cultural institutions that can take advantage of this moment, right? So, yes, what we, uh, a, a kind of a rallying cry, I think, would be really powerful. But when he's talking about uh, the Black Panthers in this case, uh, in this instance, what he is talking about is a, is a certain type of institution that existed in the in the mid '60s to late '70s, before it was kind of dis, uh, really, really, really dismantled, or mid '70s before it was dismantled, uh, what are the institutions that we have that can serve that function today? Now, right, yeah, right, 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 because it's not just about a, a a rallying cry, although that's helpful. It's also about okay, what type of like I happen to be in Albany, New York, uh, for my I've become like a lacrosse dad over the past few years. <laughs> and I was in Albany, New York, uh, doing some lacrosse stuff with my daughter. And I happened to run across the New York State meeting of Indivisible, right? Yeah. Indivisible was uh, an, is an organization that was created in order to contest Trump politically, mm -hmm. right? And what I, what the New York State uh, 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 kind of chat region of indivisible. What happened was they were strong in 2016, and then they became really weak after the primaries. The reason they became really weak after the 2018 primaries is because they had an apparatus that was focused almost solely on electing people. Right now, if you think about it institutionally, indivisible can be one of those new institutions that helps generate a political response. That's what it was designed to do. 
But if it solely focuses on electing individuals, what's going to end up happening is an institution like that is going to die. Mm. So what we have to do is think not just about rallying cries, but think about what type of institutions can we develop to properly educate citizens and then keep them involved and invested between elections and then actually outside of the electoral uh, project uh, totally. Okay, Lester Spence, Associate Professor of Political Science and Africana Studies at Johns Hopkins. Always great to catch up with you here on Detroit Today. My man, thank you. (laughs) We'll talk to you soon. All right, up next, we're going to talk about tonight's presidential debate here in Detroit, specifically about what candidates might say about health care. We're going to talk with a Danish reporter about how the differences between American health care and health care in other developed countries might play out in the Democratic debates. Stay with us on Detroit Today.